Welcome to this week's episode of London Heal. This week I'm delighted to introduce to you Dr. David Cavan. Dr. David Cavan is a consultant in diabetes and has worked in Bournemouth for many, many years before going off to work at the International Diabetes Federation in Belgium. Since last year, he's back in the UK as an independent specialist working on projects here and abroad, most recently in Bermuda. David is also um, an author of several books on the topics of diabetes and diet, and that's exactly why we've invited him today, because he has some really interesting information to share about how one can actually reverse diabetes. So first of all, David, thank you so much for taking the time and welcome. Not at all. Thank you very much for inviting me. Great. The first question, of course, I absolutely have to ask is the uh, the million dollar question when we're talking about diabetes, which is what is the difference between type one and type two? Uh, well, it's really important. And uh, thank you very much for, ask, for, for asking me to clarify that right at the outset. So what they have in common is uh, they are both conditions where the level of glucose, a type of sugar, is higher than it should be in the bloodstream. And if not adequately controlled, that can lead to a number of health problems. Um, that's the main similarity. The other similarity is, of course, they both have the name diabetes. But uh, beyond that, they're very, very different conditions. So let me just describe type 1 diabetes first of all. So type 1 diabetes is a condition where the cells within the pancreas that produce insulin, uh, that's the hormone that regulates blood glucose levels, those cells are destroyed by the body's immune system, so the body can no longer make insulin. It is, if you like, it's a hormone deficiency, uh, a deficiency of the hormone insulin, just as people may be aware of people with other hormone deficiencies, such as thyroid or um, adrenal uh, hormone deficiencies. Um, type 1 diabetes is, is, is not associated with a person's lifestyle or their body weight. It's a result of an immune attack. And the key thing is, as uh, insulin is deficient, then people with this condition have to inject insulin right from the beginning, and they, they re rely on insulin injections every day, um, essentially to stay alive. So that's type 1 diabetes. And in the UK, it accounts for probably around 10% of all cases with diabetes. Um, the, by far, the, 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 the most common type of diabetes, however, is type 2 diabetes, um, which obviously makes up the other 90%. In many other parts of the world, it's, it's nearer 95 99%, by far the most common and this is a form that is increasing really rapidly um, all over the world, so as, as well as in the UK. Um, and type 2 diabetes, nowadays we understand it is very, very closely related to our modern-day lifestyles. Um, it's associated with, um, if you like, westernized uh, diets, characterized by processed foods, highly refined foods, including carbohydrates such as sugar, um, and also by sedentary lifestyle, by sitting down all day, which so many of us do. So, and as type 2 diabetes by and large has been brought on by modern day lifestyles, it, it follows therefore that probably the best way of trying to get on top of it, to control it, to turn it around, actually to reverse it, is to modify those lifestyles. Perhaps I could bring in also right at the beginning is that 
there's a lot of sort of blame and shame associated with type 2 diabetes and um yes so while and and some people will say well you know it's your own fault you've got it you shouldn't have eaten those things you shouldn't have got overweight i'd like to just put it slightly differently that you know there are probably 400 million people around the world now who have type 2 diabetes they haven't suddenly decided to you know become unhealthy um what's changed what's changed is our environment the way we live the foods that are around us and very often the unhealthy foods the cheap foods and you know naturally therefore particularly if people are um you know on a tight budget they will buy the foods that are more affordable yeah absolutely and and in actual fact um one thing that I found um, fascinating about your work in particular is that you have very much focused on trying to provide information that reduces the amount of carbohydrate in the diet. Yes. Now, I mean, from the outside looking in, that kind of makes sense because if diabetes by definition is a lack of control or sufficient control of a carbohydrate, a blood sugar, mm -hmm. then it would sort of be obvious that, that people shouldn't eat too much sugar. However, you know, I would take even more blame off the people because for years and years and years, they've actually been encouraged to eat um, high carbohydrate diet, you know, with all these healthy grains and your, you know, five a day of, of fruit and, and stuff. So could you maybe comment a little bit on that? Because, I mean, these poor people have no idea what they're supposed to actually be eating. Well, you're, you're absolutely right. And especially for people who do have diabetes, it, it's even... You know, it's even worse because the, you're right, the standard advice for the general population for 30, 40 years now is to base our foods, base our meals on carbohydrates in the um, perhaps in retrospect mistaken belief that fat is harmful and therefore we should have a low fat diet and eat carbohydrates in, in their place. And yeah, so whatever type of diabetes you have, by definition, you are carbohydrate intolerant. And if I think of pretty much every other um, type of condition where there is a food intolerance, how are people advised to, to manage it? They're advised to avoid that food. So if you're lactose intolerant, you avoid milk and milk products. If you're gluten intolerant, you avoid gluten containing essentially wheat products. And yet, if you have diabetes and you're carbohydrate intolerant, until very recently, the very clear advice was that you should base all your meals on starchy carbohydrates. And unfortunately, I think that has done a huge disservice to many people because you just cannot control diabetes well if at the same time as you're trying to take medications to bring your glucose levels down, you're spending your day eating foods that are putting them up again. Right. So one of your books is actually called Reverse Your Diabetes. Now, what, are you, what can one understand by that? I mean, are you saying what one thinks you're saying, which is this is a reversible, curable disease? Because I think many people feel like, like once they get that diagnosis, that's it. Well, absolutely. So uh, as things stand at the moment, if we're thinking of type 1 diabetes, then that, that is it. Um, there is no current uh, understanding that the condition can be reversed, although there's, there's some very interesting new information coming out, um, particularly in animal studies, that may provide hope for the future. But for type 1 diabetes, once you've got it, you've got it.
Now, until 10 years ago, we used to believe that for type 2 diabetes as well. And we used to believe that once you've got it, you've got it for the rest of your life, it's likely just to get worse, and therefore your treatment will become ever more intensive. What was, to my mind, a a real game changer uh, was work done um, in Newcastle uh, by uh, Professor Roy Taylor and colleagues, who about 10 years ago showed that actually um, the process that leads to type 2 diabetes can be reversed. And they showed in some very nice experiments that this was possible. They showed that by and large, type 2 diabetes is associated with the the accumulation of excess fat in the liver and in the pancreas. And if you can change your lifestyle uh, in, in, in such a way that you can then begin to burn off that fat, then... The, abnormal, the metabolic abnormalities in the liver and the pancreas get better and you reverse your type 2 diabetes. So type 2 diabetes, we now know the process can be reversed. Now, the title of my book, yep, it was Reverse Your Diabetes. Um, that was uh, deliberately a little bit provocative because I actually wanted, I felt that every single person with type 2 diabetes should know that, that this is possible, should know that the process can be reversed because, as I said, they will have been given a very negative message, which is rather devoid of hope that you've got it for the rest of your life. Now, in the book, you know, I'm not promising some miracle cure. I'm not saying that you, if you, you know, eat this particular diet, you would no longer have type 2 diabetes. But what I did was put together um, the best evidence that I, I, I felt I could as to how to advise someone uh, on the lifestyle changes that would maximize the poss- possibility that they can begin to reverse the processes that have led to it. Now, in some people, that has led to them no longer having diabetes. And it's been great to have feedback from people who've read the book, put changes into action, and no longer have diabetes. They've put their type 2 diabetes into remission. Um, for others, it means that they've lost weight and they've been able to come off medication and they've got great control of their blood glucose levels, but they still have diabetes. Um, Either either way, you know, any of those improvements will have a big impact on on improving future health. What are actually the the long-term symptoms and uh, and problems associated with type 2 diabetes? I mean, apart from the fact that one is invariably overweight, going to obese, which is obviously a a restriction on enjoying life, but um, serious medical issues. Yes, you're right. And but but I think it's important to to point out that while there is a strong association with obesity, you don't actually have to be significantly overweight to develop type two diabetes. Um, the phrase has been coined: um, "thin on the outside, fat on the inside." To to uh, refer to people who maybe are you know at the upper end of normal weight or a little bit overweight they don't look overweight but they are carrying excess fats in those internal organs and it's that excess fat in the internal organs which causes a problem now it's more likely to happen if you're overweight but you know you can develop the condition um, without being significantly overweight so as far as the long-term problems are concerned they're absolutely devastating so type 2 diabetes as with type 1 diabetes, um, is associated with a greatly increased risk of heart disease, of having heart attacks, of strokes, of um, problems to uh, blockages in blood vessels that may lead to uh, the need for amputations uh, of the lower limbs. 
Um, and then there are other complications which uh, can lead to the small blood vessels at the back of the eyes being affected, leading to blindness. A similar process in the kidneys can cause kidney failure, requiring dialysis or kidney transplant, um, and uh, so on and so forth. You know, they are very, very nasty complications which usually affect people um, during working age. So they you know, it's not as though these only happen, you know, in people who are elderly when they might otherwise, you know, think that uh, or they might otherwise uh, expect to become a little bit infirm. And it's it, they're, they're very nasty with devastating consequences. If the, some, sorry. Yeah. If, um, so I was just going to add <laughs> that, that, that that is a really bad news. The really good news for all types of diabetes is they are entirely preventable and they're preventable by ensuring that you can get your glucose levels as near normal as possible. So yes, there is a, this horrible, nasty side to diabetes, but actually with the right support, with the right help, the right advice and the right treatments, uh, as, uh, as well as lifestyle change, um, it, it is possible to avoid them. My question was going to be that if unfortunately somebody's already got to that stage where they're starting to become symptomatic um, and they make those radical changes, is it possible to reverse some of that symptomology or is well, it that, it's done, it's done? Well, that, this is really interesting. So again, 10 years ago, we believed that, you know, once it's done, it's done. Uh, but we're seeing some really quite, quite remarkable things happen now. Now, obviously, if you've had a uh, an amputation to your foot that can't be undone but i've had i've known people who um you know have adopted a a, a low carbohydrate diet have become more active as a, as a as a way of trying to reverse their type 2 diabetes disease process and along the way um you know they say oh my feet feel normal again my feet haven't felt this normal for a long time and one of the problems you get is abnormal sensations because of the nerve endings being, if you like, poisoned by high glucose levels. That can get better. We didn't used to believe that. Um, I've heard reports uh, of um, not someone I've, I've, I've seen directly, but, but someone who followed the principles in, in the book. And his diabetic eye disease has improved dramatically. Um, and you know, has had this documented by his by his eye doctor. Um, a number of men with diabetes experience erectile dysfunction and require medications like Viagra. Again, people have come back to me saying, "Hey, you know, I no longer need those those tablets." So, to me, this is all really, really hopeful that that actually um, these what what are termed long-term complications and what we assumed were permanent needn't necessarily be so. Right. So it's never too late. You know, it's never too late to actually make some changes because you may drive real benefit. Well, that's, that's uh, very uplifting, I think, for a lot of people because, I mean, I was just reading in the paper this morning that apparently um, uh, coming up to 4% of junior school children will leave... Um, you know, junior school, obese. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I just sort of fell off my chair when I read yeah. that. I mean, this is this is just not this is not healthy. <laughs> I 
Because, I mean, presumably, if you start off that early, you know, you have a lifetime of, of damage um, coming up ahead of you. So is, is that actually a factor? Um, are your chances of, of reversing diabetes much higher if you catch it in, in, early, um, in early age? Yeah, indeed. So the evidence would suggest the sooner after diagnosis, the more likely it is to... Uh, to, to be be reversible, um, but you know in the in the original studies, I think the average uh, duration was around seven years, and some people had it had it much longer than that. I wouldn't set a, a, a time point to say, oh, well, if you've had it more than ten years, then you can't reverse it, because who knows? Every single person is different. And every, you know, what you learn in medicine is every person's body behaves in a different, slightly different way, uh, responds in a slightly different way to treatments. So I think, so what that's saying is that if you've had it for a very long time, you may not be able to reverse it completely, get into remission and no longer have type 2 diabetes, but you certainly can uh, reverse reverse it to an extent where um you know, as I said, you get you get better glucose levels, you lose weight, you come off medication. I mean, just to give you an example, um, I can think of an elderly gentleman who, who's had diabetes for over 30 years. He'd been on insulin for 10 years. He had be he through lifestyle change was able to come off insulin and get his glucose levels right back into the normal levels after 30 years of having having type 2 diabetes. Now, he hasn't reversed it completely because, you know, it was actually uh, when Christmas time came along, he obviously relaxed his diet a bit and the levels went up again. But the fact that he was able to come off insulin, you know, just shows, I think, it's never too late. Absolutely. That's, that's brilliant, inspiring, inspiring messages there. Um, let's move back a little bit to talking about the diet aspect of this. Mm. So, um, I mean, you, you made the point that, that not everybody has to be obese, but presumably even those people who have um, high fat around these particular organs or within these organs must have got that through, through a an imbalanced diet so they become insulin intolerant in some yes. way insulin resistant rather yes um is are these dietary changes then even vaguely effective for somebody with type 1 diabetes well they are because essentially so the the dietary changes that i i recommend first and foremost are to restrict carbohydrates for the reason i said earlier whatever type of diabetes you have you are carbohydrate intolerant therefore it's much easier to base your meals on um, on protein, on healthy fats, on 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 you know fresh vegetables, which are largely avoiding starchy carbohydrates and, and, and sugars. Um, and in in doing that, um, if I uh, before coming on to type one diabetes, just I'd, I'd like to answer your point about people who may not be overweight with type 2 diabetes because in doing that what you what you have uh, so let's take the example of someone who is not very overweight but they've got excess fat in their liver and that's making them insulin resistant and 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 having type 2 diabetes what you need what we need to do is to try and reduce down the insulin levels because it's the insulin that drives the storage of fats in those internal organs 
And the best way of reducing down the insulin levels is to reduce the carbohydrates because it's carbohydrates that you eat that get turned into glucose that stimulates the body to produce more insulin. So by taking it back to basics, if we reduce the intake of carbohydrates, we reduce the amount of glucose coming into the bloodstream. Therefore, the body needs, doesn't need to produce so much insulin. Insulin levels will begin to come down. And therefore, uh, the fat will no longer be deposited in those organs. And over time, that fat will be absorbed and will be used, uh, used as energy. Um, so you don't have to, almost by definition, if you're not overweight, you don't need to lose weight or you don't need to lose very much weight. So we're not talking about very low calorie diets. What we're talking about is a diet that will maybe have the same number of calories, but you're cutting right back on the carbohydrates. Um, now, it will become obvious, therefore, that the same process or the same type of diet will uh, actually make it much easier for someone with type 1 diabetes. The big difference is that someone with type 1 diabetes, rather than having too much insulin and being insulin resistant, their body doesn't produce any. Um, however, there is a risk that if you're, uh, uh, if you're treating yourself with too much insulin, you could end up almost becoming or developing some of the features of type 2 diabetes. And I see this with people with type 1 diabetes who over the years need more and more insulin because they're becoming insulin resistant through a similar sort of process. So that can be avoided by, by if you minimize the amount of carbohydrates you take in, one, your blood glucose levels will be more stable. Two, you need to inject less insulin because the amount of insulin you inject will depend on how many carbohydrates you're eating. So you're injecting less insulin, your insulin levels will therefore not, not become excessive. But very importantly, in type 1 diabetes, one of the biggest, if not the biggest issue for someone day to day living with that condition is, is developing hypoglycemia when the blood glucose level goes too low, which at best can be a really unpleasant experience and at worst can be a, a medical emergency. And so... Um, the, the less insulin you have on board, the less risk of actually having a hypo of, of, of your blood glucose going low. For, so for a number of reasons, I have for some time also been advocating and suggesting a low carbohydrate for people with type 1 diabetes. Right. Now, you're talking about low carbohydrate, but you're, the body is still actually in that carbohydrate metabolism mode or are you talking about what is very fashionable these days which is a ketogenic diet where you've actually gone into fat metabolism because i know yeah. for type 1 diabetes where you then can tip that over into ketoacidosis that can be for type 1 only a very serious condition so where where what are we actually talking about when you talk when you define a low right. carbohydrate diet okay so when I define a low-carbohydrate diet, I'm uh, talking about a carbohydrate intake of around 100 grams of carbohydrate per day or less. So the official, de the official definition of a low-carbohydrate diet is anything less than 130 grams of carbohydrates a day. Now, if we put that into context, the, the, the sort of recommended carbohydrate intake is somewhere of 260, 300 grams a day, depending on, you know, the, your body size and so on. So even, a, you know, 130 grams is still very low compared to what the average person is, is, is eating. Um, I plump for 100 grams because I 
I like nice round numbers actually, and I just think it's easy to, for people to know that you know that's something that they should be aiming down um, to, to to get below. Um, uh, but I know some people who eat a bit more than 100 grams of carbs a day and have you know ha- ha- have pretty much reversed their diabetes and got it under really really good really good control. So I don't I don't advocate a ketogenic diet. I advocate advocate a low carbohydrate diet and what i what i suggest that people do is i point out the foods that have got carbohydrates in them i point out the foods that are going to really make it difficult to control their diabetes and suggest they cut those back but then they use their own measurements their measurement of doing a finger prick blood test to check their blood glucose level to see whether what they're eating is keeping their levels stable if it is then whatever they're eating is fine if, however, they have a meal and two hours later their glucose level has gone up, then they need to cut back still further. And I encourage each person to identify the level of, of carbohydrate intake that works for them, that enables them to achieve stable control. Now, um, so you mentioned a ketogenic diet. Um, there's also a, a common term we hear nowadays is a low-carbohydrate, high-fat diet. And these generally are talking about cutting carbohydrates down to less than 50 grams a day, and sometimes down to 30 grams a day. And as you say, uh, they're essentially, and if you're getting right down to 20 or 30 grams a day, you're actually eliminating a lot of vegetables as well, you know, even leafy green vegetables because they have some carbohydrates in them, and you're essentially living off protein and, and fat. Um, and... That can be very effective because what that does is that you, um, you, 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 as you say, you switch to, to burning fat as your main source of uh, energy. Uh, that leads to a condition called ketosis. And all ketosis means or signifies is that you are relying on fat. You're burning fat as your main means of, of providing energy for your body. Um, ketosis in itself is not dangerous at all. Uh, people can live in in a ketotic state for you know in for the long term if they're able and then they can cope with the dietary restrictions that it, it implies some people can i know of others who have gone onto a ketotic diet managed to lose a lot of weight but then actually found that you know it was just too restrictive for them i would find it too restrictive myself um but that is ketosis now it is very commonly and understandably confused with a condition termed ketoacidosis. Mm. Um, and the acid bit in the middle of it is key because they are very, very different conditions. In, in ketosis, which is essentially a natural state, so you know our ancestors, if they were hunter-gatherers and there was no food around for a while and they, you know, they haven't eaten for a couple of days, which you know, may have happened, they will... They will switch to ketosis and they will be in a ketotic state. In that situation, um, yes, their body, uh, uh, they are generating ketones. That's where the word ketosis comes from. And ketones are a byproduct of, of, of burning fat, basically. But their glucose levels will be completely normal and their insulin levels will be, they'll be low, but they will be there um, at an appropriate level. That is very different from ketoacidosis, which is a complication of type 1 diabetes, where there is not enough insulin and glucose levels are really high or higher, you know, 
either moderately or, or, or very high. Um, and it's a it's an abnormal condition where basically the body is being starved of insulin, um, and therefore the glucose levels are high. But because the the glucose can't get into the cells because there's no insulin, the cells start switching to ketosis. It gets very complicated. But you 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 can live on a ketotic diet and have type one diabetes. You just have to make sure you're giving yourself enough insulin to keep your glucose levels under control. Um, and, you know, I know people who are managing their type 1 diabetes essentially on a very low-carbohydrate diet in the ketotic range. Sorry, I feel that was a very long answer. but uh, No, no, no. I think I it's, talking, I, that's why I asked I, it because yeah. <laughs> I, I've, um, I've had a lot of people clearly not understanding the difference between ketoacidosis and, ke yeah. and, and ketosis, which, as you said, is a completely normal state of being. And let um, me say there are health professionals who get them confused as well. <laughs> you know, so I, I can well understand why people do mix them up. Right, right, right. Um, my personal feeling is if if one is sort of thinks about these things logically is that actually sort of our ancestors you mentioned that um you know we we hear all the time about paleo diets and this that and the other yes. going on it's it's i i find it almost impossible to know what to eat these days it's very difficult but if you think about the logic of 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 how our ancestors must have lived that actually also leave living in a ketotic state the whole time cannot also have been what was going on i mean presumably it was seasonal you know where you in the winter perhaps would have had periods of of um no food and fast and then you know come the spring and the summer where everything's flowering and all the fruit and vegetables uh, especially fruit um come about you actually have a, a period of, of feasting um on the back of that, one of the diet trends at the moment is this um, is fasting, and also even within a twenty four hour cycle, these are intermittent fasting. Can you yeah. speak to that perhaps a little bit? Um, how effective is yeah. that in controlling diabetes? Yes, yeah, yeah, yes, I can. And um, but but can I just go back to to your comment about our ancestors? And I think that you're absolutely right. It would have varied according to time of year, but also if you think about humankind and the different environments where we live and have lived, it will be very different. So if you think of the, the, the Eskimos who are essentially living in, a, in an environment covered with snow and ice, um, their diet would have been almost certainly predominantly animal fat and protein. And, you know, essentially, therefore, ketosis, in ketosis for, for much of the time. Contrast that with, say, someone in the bush in Africa, where, as you say, there'd be lots of plants available uh, to eat at, at certain times of year. So I think that people who, who I, I, I'm a great um, believer in one size does not fit all. And so for people who come along and say, well, you know, you have to go into ketosis to do this and this is the only way to do it. I say, well, actually, no. Yes, that works for some people. And it may be a, a good short-term intervention, but it may not be appropriate for, for, for others. And, um, you know, there are, there are a number of ways of achieving uh, good health outcomes. So, uh, so to intermittent fasting, and almost by definition, our, our ancestors, before we could go to the shop and buy food every day, they would have had periods of intermittent fasting because the food would not have been available for periods of time. And there is very good evidence that, that, this is, it, it, that fasting is very good at promoting fat burning. 
and it is also very good at helping uh, tackle insulin resistance uh, because if you're not taking in carbohydrates you're, or um, your glucose levels will, will, will drop quite significantly, therefore you can reduce your insulin levels and so on and so forth, as I said. Now, I'm not a great, I don't claim any great expertise on intermittent fasting, but um, I, I'm aware of its benefits. And I have, I have recommended it in, 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 a, in a number of people. And, and quite often, um, I'll advocate a, a low carbohydrate diet. I'll um, you know, in, encourage people to make the changes uh, along those lines. And very often, they'll lose weight. Their glucose levels will come under control. But then they may plateau. They may still be overweight. They may have lost 10 kilograms, say, a stone and a half, uh, you know, feel much, much better. But actually, they want to lose lose more weight. So we then need to think, well, what are the other uh, other things that, that you could do to try and take you down to that next stage? Um, and I provide a range of options. One would be to go go into a ketotic diet, so cut the carbs much, much more, and that may suit some people. Another is to recommend intermittent fasting. And um, there are a, a number of approaches. One is what's become known as the 5-2 diet, where you're on two days a week, you essentially have a very low calorie intake. And um, some people uh, suit that. Um, others are um, a within a 24-hour period, either a 16-hour fast, uh, which you might want to do, you might want to recommend someone does two or three times a week, and that essentially means not having breakfast. So not eating from your evening meal the night before through to lunch the next day. You have essentially a 16-hour period of fasting, um, and that can be very effective. Perhaps more effective is a 24-hour fast, where on, on those two days you would just maybe have your evening meal. So if you were to do that tomorrow, you'd have your evening meal as normal today, and then you wouldn't eat anything till tomorrow, and then tomorrow evening you have a normal evening meal, and therefore you have that, that 24 hours of fasting. Um, and I'd enc I, I encourage people to, to do that if they're on medication for their diabetes, that they may need to adapt that specifically for fasting days but we can provide advice around that and it shouldn't stop anyone trying it if they think that it might be for them that actually leads nicely into my next point which is that if anybody chooses to make these radical changes to their to their diet they, they should actually do that in consultation with their with their doctor right because it can mean that they have to adjust their medication if they're taking it yeah so uh anyone who is on insulin or who is on medications that increase insulin levels, so particular classes of medications will do that, they will have to uh, reduce reduce those very significantly. And I would generally say half the dose uh, of those as a, as a rough and ready rule. But you know, really, ideally, this should be done in conjunction with your, your, your doctor or your, or your diabetes team. Um, Actually, in a number of the other medications for type 2 diabetes won't necessarily need to be changed, uh, although some it, it could be advisable to do so. But yeah, uh, if you are on medication for your, for your diabetes and you'd like to uh, adopt these approaches, um, for safety's sake, it really, I really would encourage you to um, speak with your GP or whoever looks after your diabetes beforehand. Is this now um, a sort of standard accepted um, method of, of, of controlling diabetes within the medical profession? I have a feeling it's still a little fringe. <laughs> it's, a lot it's a lot less fringe than it used to be. So 
I worked out it was probably about eight years ago that I first started advising uh, this type of approach uh, for initially for type 2 diabetes. And at that time, I wasn't aware of, of anyone else that was doing so. Uh, so I felt very much uh, out on, on, on the fringes. Um, the situation has changed dramatically. There are now people uh, up and down the country and in many countries around the world who are adopting uh, this, this, this type of approach. Now, as far as official guidelines are concerned, the work that showed that type 2 diabetes could be reversed was funded by Diabetes UK. And their uh, most recent nutritional guidelines actually recommend that uh, following the diagnosis of type 2 diabetes, one option is to promote uh, is, is, is to aim for significant weight loss, they talk about 15 kilograms, with the aim of putting their, di their diabetes into remission. So, okay, that's using a very low-calorie approach. Uh, I would argue you can actually achieve uh, similar, uh, similar outcomes through a low-carbohydrate uh, approach, as I've mentioned. But e either way, putting diabetes, type 2 diabetes into remission is now you know, is, is now recognized and, and as a treatment goal, uh, it, is, it is part of the guidelines. Now, the guidelines, both, both the Diabetes UK and NICE guidelines also actually, um, they're, they're really quite um, flexible. They, don't, they no longer recommend that all meals should be based on starchy carbohydrates. What they say is that there's no evidence that a certain level of carbohydrate is required. But that the you know the diet individual diet uh, or the diet for an, the diet for an individual person with diabetes should be tailored according to their needs, which actually gives anyone um, who has diabetes or who looks after people with diabetes um, the freedom to uh, go on a low carbohydrate diet if they think that that best meets their needs. Right. You mentioned there sort of the difference, you know, it's, I think that's also an area of, of confusion for a lot of people. One side, low calorie, on the other side, low yes. carbohydrate. Now, if I understand it correctly, one of the, the joys perhaps of following a low carbohydrate diet is that you can actually eat because, I mean, the major issue has to be compliance here. Yes. If the, you know, it's all very well to say you can reverse your diabetes by, you know, um, if you are uh, overweight to lose weight weight or reduce the amount of fat around your organs but not everyone can accomplish that um is is that your experience that actually following a low carbohydrate as opposed to low calorie diet makes that whole process a lot easier to stick with uh, well uh yes absolutely so um the the low the low and i think it's worth pointing out that the the very low calorie approach uh to reverse type 2 diabetes, that was designed as an experiment. It was designed as an experiment to replicate the effect of weight loss surgery, so stomach reduction operations where very, there's very rapid weight loss. And it sort of then has become an intervention to be used as a treatment, but it was designed as an experiment to see whether rapid weight loss leads, you know, is associated with reversal of the diabetes process. By definition, a very low calorie diet would have been also low carbohydrate. Uh, but I think that given that carbohydrates are by far the, 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 the biggest problem, that restricting carbohydrates but not necessarily restricting calories significantly uh, is 
is a much more sustainable way forward because by definition, going onto an 800 calorie diet it, it is very effective as an intervention for eight to 12 weeks, but it's not sustainable long-term because you'd waste away. So at some stage, you've got to revert to a more normal way of eating. Um, and so the, the, the risk is, and I've seen this in the past, not necessarily in people wanting to reverse their diabetes, but who were very overweight and wanted to lose weight. They've gone onto a very low-calorie diet, done extremely well but they've never actually retrained their minds into a new way of eating. And so they end up going back on into their old eating habits and end up often putting all the weight back on and sometimes ending up even heavier than when they started. So, and quite apart from that, I mean, I know of two people who with type two diabetes who try to, um, to go onto an 800 calorie diet a day and they had to give up because they just couldn't function you know it is essentially a starvation diet uh one person i know well he fainted twice and you know that doesn't really sound sound a very good uh a, a good recommendation so the reason that i I mentioned earlier, what I encourage people to do is, you know, I give them, I provide the information, I encourage them to make changes that they can fit in, that they think are manageable, and then to measure their glucose levels and work out what works best for them. And my hope is that then people will make changes, one, that they're comfortable with, but two, that they can sustain. Because if you can't sustain it, then you'll end up back at square one. So I personally would much rather people begin to revisit their whole eating habits review everything that they're eating look at you know maybe what things they should cut out what things are okay what things they probably should cut out but they really like so they'll have a little bit now and again um but make it in a way that's sustainable because this has to be a change forever uh, mm -hmm. rather than just a short sharp shot so um to, so to summarize Yes, you can, you, can reverse, you can reverse type 2 diabetes by a very low-calorie diet. You can also reverse it by uh, a low-carbohydrate diet without significantly reducing calories. And it, you know, I think the option should be there, and people should be able to choose what works best for them. Great. We're um, getting close to the end of, of I sure. have a million questions still. <laughs> one, one which I think is really important, perhaps, that we can just, just pop in there before we uh, go, go to finish up is we've talked a lot about diet, but what we haven't mm. talked about is exercise. Um, yes. I think we, the, the evidence is, is overwhelming that, that exercise is just generally extraordinarily good for you. What role yeah. does that play in diabetes type 2 management? I, I think it's 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 very very important, but but can I just clarify? I actually don't use the word exercise anymore because to someone who you know has not done any exercise for many years, just mentioning it could be quite you know quite challenging. I just ask people to try and increase their physical activity, or even simply, can you try and walk a bit more? And actually challenge people, how can you build in some walking into your everyday routine? Um, so, you know, trying to, instead of using the car for every single journey, if it's, if it's less than a mile and you're able to walk, it might be a struggle, but actually you can walk, you know, you can walk there and back. If you're using the car, park a bit further away from where you want to go. So you have to walk to your destination. You know, if you get on a bus or a, a uh, you know, a tram, get off uh, a, st a stop before you need to. So you're, you're sort of building in 
walking into your daily your daily routine rather than having to set a time aside to go out to the gym or to go and do exercise or to go for a walk that's the first thing the second thing is to break in break up periods of sedentary uh, behavior i.e sitting down so we've been sitting down chatting now for about 45 minutes if we carry on much longer our bodies are going to go into sort of sleep mode where we're trying to conserve energy our metabolism slows down if we have diabetes our glucose levels will will begin to go up so so many people i deal with they're sitting down at a desk all day at work or they're sitting down long periods of time at home i just say set your phone watch whatever something to, to buzz every hour so that it just prompts you to get up and walk around for a minute and sit down again and it just keeps the body awake and it helps it helps counter the impact of of all that sitting down those that is what i advocate and um because there is very good evidence that both of those uh make a difference now some people actually you know get get the hang of it and they really enjoy it and they start going out for a walk on a regular basis or they then you know they they then find that as they're beginning to lose weight you know they're enjoying walking more so then they may may want to take up some other form of exercise that's great but start off just by doing a bit of walking very very sensible advice wonderful well david i just want to finish up with my three little questions that i always ask all of my guests and um you know we're uh, we're here on on london heal a lot about mind body and spirit and i like to reflect that in the idea of health happiness and serenity so how do you define health What a good question. Uh, how do I define health? I guess health, to me, health is a state of um, normal physical and mental functioning where, you know, all parts of your body are, are, are working well and are not affected by disease. Perfect. And what about happiness? How does David find happiness? <laughs> happiness. Well, I, I, I'm sitting here, I, I, I'm in the, in the middle of the new forest and I, I look outside and I can just see green and, you know, five minutes walk away, I'm in wide open spaces. To me, that just brings me huge happiness. How, how I define that or not, I'm not entirely sure, but uh, that, that's one way that I find it. I love being in nature and I love, I love space. Wonderful. And what about serenity? How does how do you find that? You know, I I describe it oftentimes as as turning down the noise, um, finding that that quiet place inside. Do you have any specific practices, or do you consider that important? Serenity. That's not a word I use very often, actually. Um, I. Uh, I don't have specific uh, practices such as meditation or, or things like that that you, you, you might be alluding to. Um, I, I value and I love, um, I, I, I love, I guess, um, quietness. I love being able to collect my thoughts. And maybe that's why I like, you know, quiet. I like it in the quiet, in the open, because that gives me an opportunity just to sort of listen to what's uh, uh, going on inside and not being too distracted by the noise and uh, that the otherwise is all around us. Perfect. 
Well, that just leaves me to say thank you so much for taking the time. I think you've given the listeners a huge amount of information and some really hand-on advice that they can that they can use and implement. We'll make sure that we put links um, to your website uh, at the end of the podcast notes and also the names of the books so that anyone can go and pick them up. Um, I think it's absolutely extraordinary what you've done. I think it's a it was a very brave move, as you said at that time, to to go against the grain and actually provide a really simple, safe and effective way to control a really horrible disease and very much appreciate it. Thank you. Not at all. Uh, thank you very much for asking me to spend time with you. Thank you. So listeners, I hope that you enjoyed this episode as much as I did and you got a lot of useful information out of it. And perhaps if you yourself are not somebody who's struggling with this disease, I'm sure that you know someone who is. Unfortunately, that's the case and you can pass on this wonderful, wonderful information. Stay tuned next week. Um, Rate, review and subscribe on iTunes because the higher we get in the rankings, the more people get exposed to this wonderful, useful information. And we'll see you all next time. And until then, I wish you health, happiness and serenity.